I always feel that renovating is not a topic that you want to teach purely theoretically. It's really important to have a real life experience or an example of what you're trying to teach. You're listening to the She Renovates podcast. You're listening to She Renovates, the podcast for women who want to renovate to create an income and a life they love. Hello, renovators. Want to know how to have a full-time salary without the full-time job that usually goes with it? Because let's face it, life's too short to be spending it doing something that you don't love. Instead, you could be living your passion, breathing new life into tired old houses, and more importantly, being in full control of your income, your time, and your life. Want to know how you can make the leap? I'm hosting a valuable free private workshop where I'll be sharing the simple three-step process for going from domestic goddess to pro-renovator in record time. I'll also be sharing my super simple tweak to get you into your first project without the frustrating property search. And my tried and tested fix to overcome the challenge of not having enough time, money or confidence to get started. So for anyone interested in swapping out their day job for the most exciting, inspiring and creative way to earn an income that would be renovating, or professionals who are sick of making bucket loads of money for everyone else and want to start looking after themselves, or if you're looking down the road at retirement and not liking what you see, or you might just want to have more money, more time and more joy in your life, and you want to get started on the right foot, head over to theschoolofrenovating.com forward slash the leap, and I'll save you a seat in my private free workshop on the 14th of July. So today I'm going to be sharing the details of our latest project. And this project is different for lots of reasons. So it's our class project. This is a project where we have brought together 14 of our people from our community to contribute funds to be able to do our teaching project with cash. And it's something that I have been thinking about for a while, but to be honest with you, was not really sure that it would work. I sort of had this idealistic idea that we would be able to band together and do a project and make it a richer experience for our community. I always feel that renovating is not a topic that you want to teach purely theoretically. It's really important to have a real life experience or an example of what you're trying to teach. And so in the past, it's been our projects that have been the teaching project. But I think that it's a lot more meaningful if you've got some skin in the game. And so by having students actually investing in it, I think makes it more meaningful. And for me, it's just a practical working example of our 100K 
Cosmetic Plus renovation system. So it is based on a flip and that's another reason why I didn't really want it to be our project, our personal project, because we are not wanting to flip. For those who are new to renovating, flipping, while it's exciting and it makes done, makes good chunks of money, it's not investing because when you don't work, you don't get paid. And it has its place, but it's a very short-sighted strategy. However, when students come to the School of Renovating, it's the strategy that they are tend to be most interested in. It is also the highest risk strategy. I feel that if I'm going to be demonstrating something on an ongoing basis, that needs to be what we are doing because I need to be able to demonstrate the risks as well. And so that's what we're doing. The other objective to this project is providing one-on-one mentoring for one student. That student this time is Kerry Mills. And the other reason is to stop lining the bank's pockets and to line our students' pockets instead, which I think is very motivating. The idea came to me from Mary Benton, who is a financial planner and a student of the School of Renovating. And she suggested that we do this. And at the time, I was fairly sceptical about whether what sort of response I would get. But I decided to put a call out and see. But I did put a few criteria around the investment process in order for it to work. So I like to work with between $800 and $1 million for the purchase price. We can only take... 20 members before we move into an area that is more complex in terms of setting it up. So I wanted to keep it under 20. And so that meant that the minimum investment would be 50,000. Members must be Australian citizens and that's for land tax purposes. They are able to invest via their super fund, their self-managed super funds, Because I understand because the fact that they have less than 50% ownership meets the criteria. I'm not really across the issues, but that was, that's what my property circles have indicated. And I have suggested that they don't use borrowed money. So if they're taking money from a line of credit, it's it's not going to work. Well, I would rather that it was cash. And so they were the criteria that we used to select our investors. And so I put the call out and I had 20 people respond to say that they wanted to invest. And out of that, we've ended up with 14. So we also needed to set up a trust. And I did that first so that it was ready for when our investors came in. And so when you do that, you need to appoint a director and I am the sole director of that trust. I made the decision to set it up that way because I feel quite responsible for other people's money. So I wanted to make sure that the buck stopped with me. So we got that set up. The tricky part was setting up the bank account because you need to make sure that all your I's are dotted and your T's are crossed and I discovered that the um, trust document had my name um, missing or, yeah, without my middle name in it and the bank 
wouldn't accept that. So I had to go back and have the trust deed updated to be able to set up a bank account. So that took another couple of weeks. So I guess the moral to the story is that this takes time. So when you're setting up a joint venture of any description, you want to allow plenty of time to get this done before you start looking for property, because it's not something that you can do in a six-week settlement period. And of course, organising the shareholders in it, agreement, determining the terms. And so one of the things that I needed to be careful about was when people could take their money out. And so what we decided was to have a minimum investment of 12 months and with the expectation that we would be able to get two projects done in that time and that money could be taken out provided it wasn't out on a project. So the project needed to be completed before we did any distribution of profits or of cap capital. So I'm well aware that people's situations change and if someone wants to move out, they, it, that needs to happen at the end of a project, at the end of 12 months first, and if we're out on a project at the end of the project. As I mentioned, we the plan is to do two Cosmetic Plus renovations per year and with the aim of a targeting 10% profit on each so that we anticipate that the investors will have a reasonable return on their money. But of course, we need to be careful to not to promise anything. You never know what happens in property and you want to make sure that you're not making um, promises that you can't deliver on. So we've got 14 members and one has been nominated as the mentee. And we also have two members who have very kindly offered to be the communicators. So something that I didn't really anticipate, well, I did, but not to the extent that it's turned out, is the, the level of work required in communication. So between 14 people, lots of people having questions and so on. So we've set up a WhatsApp group. And those two members, both called Chris, monitoring that WhatsApp group for questions. And I do a report each week to just update everyone on where we're at. I also maintain the records, but thankfully I have a bookkeeper to manage the books. So because, as I mentioned before, I hate bookkeeping. And so we are set up. And so the next thing was to start looking for a property. Now, I was quite keen to buy a house because you just have so much more control. I didn't really want to be spending months getting uh, strata approval. I should mention we ended up with around 1.1 million. It meant that we were looking for a property around the 900,000 mark and because I wanted a house, we decided to purchase in Newcastle. And so we have a, a lovely buyer's agent in Newcastle. So I asked her to source us the property. And actually, while we were on retreat, we did a property tour and found this house in New Lambton that had enormous potential. And so even though it was outside our budget, we decided to bid on it. We've set up our the joint venture with my property circles 
and something that we can do via My Property Circles is raise more funds. We could capital raise. And so I decided that's what we would do. So we went to the auction. So this property had the potential to be a absolute, absolutely premium renovation, was in a like the best street in New Lambton on a hill right up the top, big block of land and it had potential for views. And so we went to the auction and it was, I think it was guided at 9.50, but we felt fairly certain that it could go to 1.3, 1.4 million. And so we had set our budget at 1.25 and on the way to the auction, we stopped off and had a look at another house in New Lambton that was open uh, for inspection. And this particular house that we looked at was a pretty simple reno and certainly quite a good prospect. But we went on to the auction and we'd had a building and pest report done on this house we were bidding on and there was some concern about the footings of the house. And so we, I took Stephen as well, just to get his feedback on what he thought, how concerned he thought we should be with the footings. Incidentally, there were like loads of contracts out on this house and not one building and pest. We were the only ones that did a building and pest, which absolutely blows me away. And when we, and this was the first day that I'd actually seen the house and it certainly did have amazing potential. But when we looked at the the footings, because you could walk in under the house, it had been owned by a DIY builder who'd done his own renovations and basically had dug out under the house and done some fairly serious alterations and in the process had undermined the footing system. And so there was crumbling piers and a whole lot of stuff going on under there. And so with Stephen's input, we agreed that we probably needed to allow around about 100000 in repair work to make those footings sound in order to do what we wanted to do on top of the renovation. and But we decided that there was still enough money in the project if we got the property at our, at our target price. But keeping in mind, I didn't expect that we had a hope of getting it because we had a budget of 1.25 and I thought that it would go for at least 1.3 million. Anyhow, as it turned out, we didn't get it. It went for, I think, about 1.28. So it wasn't that much more than our budget. But I was satisfied that we had, our limit was as high as we could possibly go, given the condition of the house. And I think I would have been more upset had I not seen the other house uh, on the way to the auction. So then we went back and reviewed all our other options. So there were a lot of houses that fit our criteria. However, everything uh, is going way over the reserve. If you looked at something for 800000 you would expect that it would go for at least a million and everything was going to auction. And so 
basically what we decided to do was just do due diligence on them progressively and work on the one that was coming up first. And so we just work on a property, go to auction. If we didn't get it, move to the next one. So that's we're in the process of doing that. But this one in New Lambton that we saw on the way to the auction was still in the offing. And so when it eventually came up for auction, I think its guide was eight to 900,000. And of course, I was expecting that it would go. And in fact, so was our buyer's agent. In fact, everyone expected it to go for around about a million. But we had a little stroke of luck in that one, the auction got scheduled for a Friday and not a weekend which doesn't make a lot of difference, but I hoped that would keep some people away. And we got in touch with the solicitor to request a longer settlement, eight-week settlement, which they refused. And that's always exciting because I think if you've got a vendor that's not open to broadening their market by allowing as much uh, flexibility as possible, then that limits the market. So I was thinking if they've said no to us on that, they might have said no to other people, which would mean that they're reducing the number of bidders. I couldn't go to the auction, but Judith went to the auction and bid for us. And Judith is a very canny bidder. Anyhow, so she didn't put her bid in until everyone else was starting to peter out. And then she started to come in strong, coming up, going up in, like they were down to $500 increments and she came back in with $5,000 increments. And so basically she knocked them out in two bids. And so we had a limit of $950 for that property and we got it for $915, which I was very happy about because being a new area and not knowing the trades, I was and still am slightly concerned about the cost of the renovation because the the feedback I'm getting is that it's really hard to get builders in particular and they are charging like wounded bulls. So I was having a chat with one of my students the other day and she was talking about the plumber and her plumber is okay but uh, she's working in Newcastle as well and her plumber is okay but he requires a serious amount of managing. And she said, oh, no, it was the electrician, sorry. And she said, um, and I said, so would you look for someone else again? He came in, he was the lowest price by far. And this is on quite a modest three-bedroom house. His quote was 10000 The next closest quote was 18000 So she said, for a difference of like $8,000, I'm willing to spend the time managing him. Couldn't work with the other quotes that we were getting. So that was that the scenario with the trades. So in the last week, I've been organising a builder. So we'd organised an open inspect, oh, an inspection last Friday so we could take our trades through. And of course, Sydney's in lockdown. So I can't do that. So I decided we need to roll with this new world that we're in. And so we agreed to do it remotely. So Kerry's based in Newcastle, which is great. So it meant that she could go and Judith went as well. I could only get one builder out there, but I feel that he is um, he is a good prospect. I do have two other builders who are going to quote that just couldn't get there that day. And we're able to work through, because it's hard, it's impossible to finalise the scope 
and until you've got a bit of information on on what you can and can't do. And so the main thing that we want to do is take a couple of walls out, fairly substantial walls out, in order to open up the kitchen living and also take out the back wall to put in multifolds and build a deck on the back. And so I needed him to figure out which walls were load-bearing And so we were able to do that. And so that's enabled me to finish the scopes. He's organising an engineer to design the support system. And yeah, so we got that done. We did it via Zoom, which was challenging because the house happens to be in an internet black spot. But we worked our way through it and we are getting the plan finalised. So yesterday I spent the afternoon on the computer with Kerry via Zoom and we work through the remainder of the scopes. We've got a new process for doing scopes, which I'm loving. So basically this was the idea of one of our students, Kate Potter. So Kate is a professional project manager and she developed this system for doing all your scopes in a spreadsheet where you can filter by room, by trade, by item and it's just it's a good way of keeping all the information in one spot and so Kerry and I did that late yesterday and so we are set to send these to a lot of other trades and builders as well to really get our um, quotes settled and uh, so oh, of course the other thing that we did was we did our renovator concept session with David so that was interesting so he had 14 clients of course we have to have a few guidelines or around how we operate but that was actually a really productive session and we've videoed it you can come over to the website and check that out and we've also started a blog on the project so I'm doing a weekly report and that will be on the website and so we're settling on the 16th which is next week and so now we are getting organized so we've assembled a landscaping group so that's an area of the work I don't need to put a lot of thought into because I have got people in this group who are much better at gardening than I am and so they will they will take care of that and and so as of the of next week we will have settled and so between now and then I'll keep working on the trades and the plan and the budget and getting it to a point we, where we are ready to start work. So I'm not being too ambitious with the time frame because of the fact that trades are a little bit challenging to get and the fact that we're working remotely. But I certainly anticipate to have it. I would like to have it back on the market for the spring market. So yeah, we'll see how we go. So that's where we're at with the class project. Now, I think with the property process opens up the possibility of joint ventures with that just about anyone can do a joint venture. So, of course, you need to get your partners. It's just one thing I would be careful about, and that's to make sure that the person who is managing the renovation is experienced and knows what they're doing. It's certainly not a good idea to have a newbie renovator doing that because the renovator is really the linchpin of the project 
and needs to know what they're doing. But other than that, if you've got someone experienced or if you're experienced, it is within your sphere to be able to pull together a project and and it's so much more fun doing it together. Like I love the idea of having a brains trust and it's just that I'm doing projects all the time and I've got Stephen and I can say, what do you think about this? But it's different because he's got his own projects. I shouldn't say he's not that invested. He, he has limited bandwidth. Whereas if you've got people that are actually invested in your project... They are so switched onto it. And so if you go to them and say, what do you think about this? You will get an unlimited amount of enthusiastic feedback, which certainly I think makes making decisions a lot easier. Now, obviously, you have to make the sort of critical decisions yourself, but little things about what style of wall panelling do you think will work, things like that, it's really, it's a big asset to have a group around you. You probably don't need 14, one or two usually is enough, but we like to push the envelope. Okay, so that's it for today. So when the episode finishes, if you're sitting there thinking, I wonder, and have a question to ask, head over to Facebook and to the She Renovates Facebook group and there you will find over a thousand crazy renovators who just love talking renovating and would love to answer your question. And also don't forget our private workshop on the 14th of July. If you're thinking that renovating might be something that you would like to be doing, just come and join us there. Okay, see you next week. This is the She Renovates podcast. To discover how to harness the power of renovating, check out theschoolofrenovating.com.